everything that you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this is one of my favorite passages uh, in the scriptures, and it's one of my favorites just because um, as I began preaching for the first time, I, uh, I found a book that said God's ultimate purpose on it. It was on my bookshelf, and uh, I was like, what is this book about? What is God's ultimate purpose? That's kind of a big claim to make in, in the title of a book, but it was a series of sermons from a guy by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and uh, that's how I started preaching. And so I, uh, I, I love reading his sermons on the book of Ephesians, and, and so um, I am doing that again. I've, I've preached on Ephesians a couple of different times throughout um, my ministry, and, uh, and so it's, I think it's been about 10 years, and so I thought it's, it's about time again. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited about this passage because uh, I, I don't know if, if you sense it or if you, how, however long you've been in the church, but I, I sense like a, a relative uh, lethargy uh, within the, the local church. And, and I don't just mean everybody else. I think in myself as well, I, I, I see this. And I, when you compare this passage to... Uh, to what Christians look like today, they're two different things. They're just two very different things where you go, you know, here's this, this apostle, Paul, and how he is like so intent, like he is, he is worshiping and he's inviting us to worship this God and, 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 and yet, like, the, the church in some ways doesn't look like that entirely. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I, I think our church is pretty, pretty alive, but I think just generally speaking, Christians today just tend to be a little bit dead. And I, and I just, I just want to simply tell you that, like, I think God has more for us. In fact, I know that he does. And I think that, these, that, these, that this passage in, in particular is incredibly important um, to us. Um, it really deals with doctrine. Um, a lot of people have, have issues with doctrine because they don't, they either don't like the doctrine or they don't, uh, like talking about doctrine. They want to come to church and get some type of a practical message of here's how to have a better family. Here's, here's, uh, what to do at work. Here's what not to do, you know, those kinds of things. But doctrine like leads us up. It leads us into the heavens as it were to kind of experience this God. And so that's in part what I want to, what I want to bring about to us, uh, this morning. Verses three through 14 is just one sentence. Everything that Megan just read, I know there was periods and punctuation in there, but the Apostle Paul did not put periods or punctuation in his uh, little uh, you know, section of scripture there because he just starts talking and he doesn't have time for punctuation. He just keeps going. It is one run-on sentence that goes on and on. And verse three, which we're covering today, we're only going to talk about verse three. You're like, wow, this series is going to take a while. And you're right. It's going to be fantastic. I love it. I hope you love it as well. It'll be, it'll be great. Um, but this, this, this verse is the theme of the letter. But many people have really talked about this section of scripture in, in these ways. Uh, John Stott um, combined, or, uh, put together all of these statements. Uh, some have called it a gateway, a golden chain, a kaleidoscope, a snowball, it kind of grows in, in size as it rolls down the hill, um, a racehorse, 
an operatic or uh, operatic overture, and the flight of an eagle. All these metaphors in their different ways describe the impression of color, movement, and grandeur which the sentence makes on the reader's mind. That's from John Stott. It's, it, it, when you, when you, I mean, I read a lot of commentaries. I have to read commentaries about scripture. But there's, I mean, I, and I think there are other passages of scripture that have an incredible things about them. This one in particular, uh, verses three through 14, is very much built up as like this, this really impressive and compact you know, group of words that is just praise and thanks and worship, and it's pretty intense. It's, it's pretty amazing. Now, the, the problem is, is that uh, many Christians kind of go through life kind of half-baked. And, and by that, I, I mean this. Uh, when you're cooking a brisket, right? If you, get, if you go to the store and you buy a brisket, which I, I love brisket, when you go buy a brisket, you trim some fat off it, you leave about a quarter inch, on there all the way around. And, uh, and then you take a rub. And so like, I like beef rub from uh, Traeger. And so I, I take beef rub and I just pack it on there, get as much on there as I possibly can. So I get a ton on there and then I set it on my Traeger and I set my Traeger to 250 degrees. And uh, so then I let it sit there and I let it sit there and I let it sit there. Now, you might know that meat uh, is cooked, uh, and if you really don't, I mean, you can leave it pretty rare, but uh, beef is cooked at least at, you know, you might, if you did 120, you'd have like something that's kind of rare, uh, but that you don't want a rare brisket. You want a, a fully cooked brisket. So if you went to 150, it would be, you know, well done. And that's, and that's still not good enough. If you want to have a brisket taste amazing, to have it pull apart, like, I mean, just all that, the grease and the oils and everything in there, the fat, it's, it's, it's amazing. If you want crispy chunks on there, like burnt ends, like it's, it's amazing. I know I'm making you hungry. Go find some brisket after service, something like that. But if you want to find that, like you have to leave a brisket on there until it gets to at least 205 degrees, 205 degrees. It has to be there. You get it to 205 degrees and you are golden and you slow cook it at 250, okay? So if you decide to go home and do this, that's what you should do. That's when a brisket is amazing. But here, here's the problem, is that if you do not smoke it long enough, if you do not cook it long enough, it ends up being tough and it's half cooked, it's half baked. Many Christians have not stayed in they haven't stayed in the doctrines of God. They have not stayed in to even understand. We come to church to just get a little statement, a little, little self-help psychology, that type of stuff, so that I can go on in my life and things would be better for me and that would, and that would be fantastic. But what the Apostle Paul, what God is inviting you into today is that you would be somebody who's entirely baked, that you would be somebody, not baked in that, that way that I understood it when I was in high school, but that you would be completely cooked, completely smoked in the doctrines of God, and that it would transform your life, that this is the possibility that is afforded to us in, uh, in this passage. It's amazing. Our issue is that we, we don't know enough about it, and we say, you know what, I really just want to be focused on what's going on around me. So we, get, we could ask the question, like, what are Christians known for today? What are we known for? We're, we're known for what we're against. We're known for, not for like this incredible knowledge, we're known for the things that we're against. 
We're known for believing conspiracy theories, like believing outright lies, believing stuff that's, that's just crazy talk, like Pizzagate, the idea that there was uh, this, you know, <laughs> uh, ring of people who were abusing children that were in the basement of a pizza place, I think it was in D.C., and people believed this for the longest time until a guy actually went there with a gun to kill the Democrats because they were doing this to children and then he found out, oh, there's no basement here. There's, there's nothing. Like these conspiracy theories. Like uh, uh, Christians are known for conspiracy theories. In fact, God says in Hosea, uh, Hosea, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Like Christians are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because we have come into this world and we say, you know what, I don't care about all of that stuff. I want just practical things. So we get, our, get wrapped around the axle about all kinds of things that are happening in our world and we haven't really understood what God has for us. It would be a little bit like going to the Sistine Chapel where Michelangelo has painted so many things all over the ceiling of this chapel. Now you go to that chapel, not for church anymore, uh, uh, apparently I think, uh, but you go to that chapel to look up at the ceiling. But it's a little bit like this. It's a little bit like going into the Sistine Chapel and saying, oh wow, look at those tiles. Look at those tiles. The art, the beauty, the grandeur of it is on the ceiling. Look up. The Apostle Paul is inviting you to look up. It's like beautiful design that takes your eye and draws your eye up to the ceiling and you just go, oh my goodness, look at that atrium. Look at this, uh, this ceiling. Look at what's happening here. Look, look at everything, all of these facets that there are to see here. Like it's an amazing thing. And the Apostle Paul is trying to draw your eye up and to stop with this stuff that's going on, the conspiracy theories and all of the worries and everything that's happening, everything that we're against and everything, all of this stuff. No, the Apostle Paul says like this is in a nutshell, this is Christianity. That's the, the book of Ephesians, but especially this. It all begins here, and it begins with worship. When he says, praise be, or I'm sorry, that's the NIV version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He is worshiping, and he's inviting you to begin worshiping over what? Doctrine. I know that sounds exciting. I know you're looking forward to it, but he is inviting you to worship God over the deep things of God and what he has done for you. Now, there may be folks in here who say, you know what, I have no interest in praising God in the first place. I just, I, I don't care about, about praising God. Here's the only problem with that. Our lives are made up of praise here, praise there, praise of me, praise, praise of this thing, praise of that thing. It's our lives are made up of worship. In fact, there's a quote that I love to use. I've used it a lot. Some of you have probably heard it uh, several times. It's from David Foster Wallace, who's an award-winning novelist. He wrote this. He said, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much 
Anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if there were you really tap meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel like you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious, they are default settings. You say, I don't really desire to praise God, to worship God. The thing is, is that all of those things that David Foster Wallace mentioned, and so many more, are really just God replacements. They are God replacements. And we find ourselves in places where, we, where we're consistently worshiping other things. You're already worshiping. And the thing that I want to present to you today is to say this, is that your kids can't be your object of worship. Your friendships can't be your object of worship. Your marriage can't be your object of worship. Money, sex, and power cannot be your object of worship. Live, laugh, love cannot be your object of worship. Your object of worship can be nothing but the living God because all of those other things lead to destruction. All of those other things, when you focus on it, it can't be God to you. When you come to those things, you say, I want you to be my God, and so I'm gonna worship you. I want you, you are now my God, you control me. That's why things turn into an addiction. Is because it's, you're, you're saying, I have to worship you, I have to worship you, I have to worship you. It begins to destroy, it begins to control. Because here's the thing, porn is praise of pleasure, but it destroys. Workaholism is praise of money, power, or productivity, but it destroys. It's all, all of those things, and it's not just those things. It's, it really is, if, if I make my focus, if I make my, make my source of, of praise, of worship, if I, if I make that my thing, it ultimately leads to destruction. It ultimately does. What I want to present to you this morning is this the ultimate and true object of worship is God. But in order to praise God, we gotta know who, what, and where this blessing comes from. There is a blessing that God has for us, and we have to be able to understand who, what, and where. Where, do, where does this come from? In order to bless him, we have to understand that. So. Let me look at it with you here. Let me read it again for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The, the place to begin here is in worship, in the, in the Christian life. It begins with worship of God. This is how we have a Christian life, is we begin, begin by worshiping God. He saves us and we worship him. That's, that's what happens. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this is the theme of the entire book. He says it's the theme because it's basically saying that, that in a nutshell, this is what I want to tell you, that he is blessed because he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
So what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us is, number one, praising God means knowing who God is. It means understanding who he actually is. Who is this God that we're talking about? Well, God is Trinity. He is a Trinity. He is Father, He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. And so our praise is of, through, and by God. It is of, through, and by God. And it's not just the Father, it's not just the Son, and it's not just the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> there are various denominations, groups of people within uh, Christianity that emphasize one person of the Trinity over the others. So you have people that are really into the Father and the sovereignty of God and all of that. Sometimes we like to call those people in a playful way the frozen chosen, right? They're, they're you know, maybe from like a Presbyterian Reformed background, something like that. They're very much into the Father and everything that he's, that he's done. And then you've got people who overemphasize the Spirit, people who come from charismatic or uh, Pentecostal backgrounds. I know some of you have come from that kind of a, a background, but sometimes some of those churches go off base where they just totally emphasize and only emphasize the spirit. And so they're talking about manifestations of the spirit and things of that nature. And so they're very much into the spirit. Their songs are about the spirit, but then they leave out the father and the son. But then we have kind of the middle of the road kind of evangelical church today, which is very heavy on emphasizing the son. And I would almost call that kind of the, the mushy middle of Christianity. And it's not because Jesus shouldn't be worshipped. It just means that it's, it's emphasized to a degree where it's discounting both the Father and the Spirit. So as Christian people, we are to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in a, in a second with, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has blessed us through the Father, through the Son, and through the Holy Spirit. So first of all, praising God means knowing who God is. God is Trinity. And so what are we praising the Father for? We're praising the Father for his plan. God the Father, in eternity past, has determined what was going to happen and how he was going to save us, and that the Son would come down, that he would uh, come down and be incarnated uh, like us. He would be like flesh. He would become one of us. He would walk with us. And then he would be crucified for us. So we're praising the Father because of his plan of salvation. So the question is, have we considered how he planned our salvation? Have we considered like, Man, I wanna worship God because of his amazing plan for everything that he is, that, that he's directing all things, that he is sovereign, that he's chosen me. I, 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 am I, have I worshiped him in that regard? Because as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, that we have a morbid preoccupation with ourselves. We have a morbid preoccupation with ourselves as we kind of sit around and think about like, What's it doing for me? How do I feel? What's my life like? What about this? What about that? The Apostle Paul is trying to draw our eye up from the tiles on the floor. He's trying to draw our eyes up from every, everything that's happening in our world. He's trying to draw our eye up from, I read on KGW yesterday, 
there was an article that said there were multiple incidents in Portland from Friday night through Saturday morning. There were so many that the police could not make it to most other calls unless they were life-threatening issues. Multiple people killed, multiple people injured. A guy stole an ambulance uh, and drove it all over town on a joyride. There were uh, shootings, there was, there was so much stuff. He wants to take our eyes off the tile and say, and off of the crime and off of the politics and off of uh, COVID and all of our thoughts about that. And he's drawing our eye up and he's saying, but look at the plan of salvation. Enough with this morbid preoccupation with ourselves and what we have going on. This is why we believe in conspiracy theories. This is why we believe in those things. It's because we haven't seen the true and the living God, God the Father, in his plan to save fallen sinners. It's through the Son as well. The Father has the plan of salvation. The Son has the pain of salvation. The Apostle Paul said, who has blessed us in Christ? That everything that we have from God, it proceeds from the Father, it goes through the Son. It has to go through the Son. So what that means is that first of all, that this, this God is a specific God. It's not that all roads lead to God, that's not true at all. What God are we talking about? We're talking about the Yahweh, God of the Bible, who has a son named Jesus. And so it's specific. But it's more than just specific, it's exclusive. It's exclusively Jesus. It's exclusively him. It is in Christ, it is in no one else. Christ does not need an assistant. He doesn't need uh, uh, someone else. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need anybody to save you. It is, it is uh, specific and it is exclusive, but it's also eternal. He has eternally saved you. It hasn't been like, well, he saved me this time and then it kind of went away. No, he has saved me eternally. It is in Christ. And then thirdly, it is by the Spirit. It's praise of the Father, it's through the Son, and it's by the Spirit. Now, the Spirit is the one that enables us, enables us to have this relationship of praise with the Father. Because without him, I wouldn't know anything about the Father or the Son. It says in John 15, 26, but when the Helper, the Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Like the Spirit, when he comes, he is the one who is going to bear witness about Jesus. The Spirit is here to reveal to us Jesus. The Spirit is there in your Bible reading to allow you to see the blessings that come from the Father through the Son that are in Christ and reveal to you Jesus so that you can actually see him. The Spirit is the one who applies the gospel to our lives. So praising God means knowing who God is. He is Father, He is Son, He is Holy Spirit. It is praise of, through, and by this Trinitarian God. My second point is this. Praising God means knowing what He's done. 
It's not just knowing who he is, but it's knowing what he's done. And what has he done? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That word every is very important. It's important because of this. It's not that he's given us, oh, a couple blessings. It's not that he's given us, you know, some stuff. It's that he's given us every blessing. Now think about that for just a second. When you think about your Christian life and you think about like, what's not happening in my life right now? God, why haven't you given me a spouse? God, why didn't I get that job? God, why didn't I get this thing? Why didn't I get that thing? Like you could say that, but what this is saying here is that like we are to praise the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he has blessed us with every, all spiritual blessings. He has given you everything that he has. Every conceivable blessing that matters, he has given to you. Our problem is that we try to define what does blessing look like in my life? What should blessing be? Paul tells us, you already have it. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Our problem is, is that I don't want a spiritual blessing. I want a physical blessing. I want to be blessed physically in this life, right here and right now. I want money, sex, power. I want live, laugh, love. I want all, I want all of those things that I, I want to make that stuff happen. And so sometimes we come to God, the church in a sense, and we say, Hey, would you show me how to be blessed? And sometimes churches participate with you, especially like prosperity gospel uh, churches. Many of the churches that are on TV are prosperity gospel teaching. It's basically saying this, that like you uh, do something for God and he will bless you. Like just give a little bit more money and then God will bless you in this way and that way. You, I know you're wanting that new car. You know what you need to do? You need to give $1,000 to our ministry right here and right now. I should probably start doing that. We'd probably make more money here because then you'd be like, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, I want that new car. So Pastor Matt said I should give him $1,000. You know, that, that would be really fantastic. The only problem is I would go to hell. And so uh, that, that, that would just be the worst. That, but you know, who knows? Uh, it's not that bad. Um, Total heresy, everything I just said. Okay, we want, a, we want a physical blessing, but he gives us a spiritual blessing. And a spiritual blessing, here's the thing. What you want in sex is a spiritual blessing. There's something spiritual in sex. That's why sex has to be reserved between a man and a woman. And that's why it has to be reserved for you and your spouse. Because it's spiritual. You're connecting spiritually with this person. That's why it's like an abomination is what the scripture would call sex outside of marriage. Because it's a, it's a spiritual blessing. It's something ethereal. It's like you can't see it. You can't touch it. It is, it is, it is in part that. God blesses us spiritually. But it's not just that. It's beyond that. What are these spiritual blessings, what are they? If you look at the rest of the passage, verse four and on, you'd see some things here that Paul just lists off, and we're gonna be covering these over the next couple of weeks. It says, even as he chose us 
in him. He's chosen us. He's called us to be holy and blameless. He has made us holy and blameless. That like like God decided, you're going to be holy and blameless. I'm going to save you. Like God just, he snaps his fingers and he says, guess what? I know you feel like trash, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change you into my treasure. That's what, he, that's what he says. You're holy and blameless. You've been predestined. What does that even mean? We're going to talk about it. He's adopted you as a son or as a daughter. He's brought you into his family. Like my, my dad is the father. I'm, I'm, his, I'm his son? Dad? Like that's, that's pretty amazing. He's given us redemption. He's forgiven our sins, our trespasses. He's given us the riches of his grace. What does that even mean? He's made known to us the mystery of his will. What? I mean, we could just go on. We have an inheritance. We, uh, I mean, it just goes on. We've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We're going to be preaching on it. But he's given you that list right there when you say, okay, I don't have the car, I, don't, I didn't get the girl, I didn't get the guy, I didn't, I didn't get this, I didn't get that. And you can just say, but wait, I, but there's, there's a bunch of things that I did get. There's a bunch of things that like, I, I have them. They are, they are more real than this world is. I have them. I have these spiritual blessings. It's transforming. It changes you. It miraculously changes you. And now how does that happen? Is it like, I really got to want that, him to choose me, or I really want this, or I really want that. Is it, how does it happen? Do I have to want it? No, it's by the Spirit. We're praising the Spirit because I don't want God outside of God not first wanting me and saying, guess what? As the father, before time began, I chose you. I sent the son that he would redeem you and I've sent the Holy Spirit to apply all of that to your life so that you can begin to desire this. So if you're a believer at all this morning, while it may take uh, some time to look at this, maybe the Holy Spirit's gonna begin to awaken some things and you might say, I just, I, I want to have a sense. And sometimes you have to want to want to want to want something. So you might say, I don't feel like I want that right now. But you can say, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to help me to want to want to want that. That's what you might say. Because you're not there. And the Spirit is willing to answer those prayers. When we say, God, I want to desire you more. I want to see what you've given me as a spiritual blessing instead of looking around me, looking at all the crud that's happening in the world, in politics, in the school district, in wherever it is. I want to stop being so focused on those things and I want to be focused on you so that I can truly understand that I truly am blessed with every stinking spiritual blessing in Christ. It's not a partial blessing, it's a whole blessing. My third point, 
Praising God means knowing where he's done it. My first point was praising God means knowing who God is. My second point was praising God means knowing what he's done. Third thing is praising God means knowing where he's done it. Where has God blessed us? Well, if you look at the passage again, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what does that mean? What exactly does that mean? I don't know if you remember that uh, movie Caddyshack. You shouldn't watch it. It's got some dirty stuff in it. But when I was a kid, it used to be on TV, and that part was edited out. So I'm talking about the edited version, not the other one. Okay. So then it's like Bill Murray. He's telling the story. And so he's helping, like, the Dalai Lama, like, golf. And so he's like, uh, hey, uh, Lama, uh, how about a little something for the effort? And, uh, and so Bill Murray's telling the story, and he says, so he turns to me, and he says, he says, on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. And he says, so I got that going for me, right? So that's, that's, that, that was the blessing that he received from the Dalai Lama. It's supposed to be funny. I'm sorry it's not to you. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's, so, so I have this going for Like, what does that even mean that he's blessed me in the heavenly realms? What does that even look like? Look back at Ephesians 1:18. Through 21, the Apostle Paul is saying, I want the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. So Paul is still going with this theme of you've got to have knowledge that you would know what is the hope to which he's called you. The hope isn't in the politician or anything else. Money, sex, power, living, laughing, loving, all of those things. It is which he has called you and what are those things? That, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him as, at his right hand in the heavenly places? The place where you are blessed, the place where I am blessed it's not some ethereal thing, oh, you'll have total consciousness on your deathbed. No, it is like Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is seated there, and that is called the heavenly places. The heavenly places is where Jesus is. That's where every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ is found. It is with him. It is right there. It is in that place. And he has blessed you there. He has blessed you in a place that means more than this place right here and right now. He's blessed you in a place that matters more than the next election cycle. He's blessed you in a place that matters more than your financial situation or your portfolio or how your marriage goes. He has blessed you in a place where no one can take it away from you, where God is completely and totally in control and he has secured it for you right there and right then, eternally. This is what he has done. Now, here's the problem. We have been praising 
the wrong things all along. We have been praising all the things that have nothing to do with who God is. I mean, we could go down the list again. But I guess the question is, are you praising God in this way? I'm, 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 I, I want to tell you this morning that this will be the greatest worship of your life. This will be the most amazing thing possible to be taken up, to go from looking down at the tiles in the Sistine Chapel, being taken up, having your eye drawn up, little by little by little. As a Christian, our eyes continue to come up as we, as we uncover some other facet of God's goodness. And, and we just go, I understand about the Sistine Chapel that there are multiple different uh, paintings all over the place. And there's, there's this one about Adam and this one about you know, whatever, whatever the other ones are. And there, there's all of these things that are, that are going on the ceiling. And you discover a new facet of who God is. And as you're looking down at the, the world and you just go, man, but, but he is who he is. Like his love has blessed me so immensely that I don't even have to worry about all of these things. Not as much. I don't even, I don't even have to be taken captive by conspiracy theories. I don't have to be drawn into things that don't matter. I could be drawn into my God. And then, do you know what might happen through that? What might happen through that is that people might actually look at Christians and say, you know what? I haven't heard a lot from this guy at my work about what he's against. All I know is that he loves me. He cares about me. All I know is that he's kind. All I know is that he listens to me gripe and sometimes criticize Christians or Republicans or whoever it is, whatever the, your opposite party is. All I know is that he does those things and he's kind. She's kind. She's loving. What, what would happen if we got this? If we, got, if, if we said, you know what? None of this other stuff matters on a level that requires me to lose my mind, to walk around half-baked in this world. What, what could happen? What could happen if, if our eye was drawn up there? So how, do you, how does that happen? How do, you, how do you do that? Well, in part, you don't. Because <laughs> it has to happen by the power of the Spirit. And so we, we need to pray. We need to pray in the spirit. Lord, Lord Jesus, we just ask that you, ch you change our minds, that you would draw our eye up. There's a lot of things that I care about right now, a lot of stuff that I'm worshiping that's not you. There's a lot of stuff that's, that's on the verge of destroying me or has destroyed me or taken something from me, and I just, I just need you to, to draw me in. But really the best way is what a pastor named Thomas Chalmers calls the expulsive power of a new affection. See, we have affections in our lives that are, have taken over us. It, sometimes these affections are addictions. Sometimes the eff these affections are just things that, it's just the way that life has been. 
But the difficulty with, with replacing that affection with a new one is, is that it's like, man, I've already got this in this place. It's already here. It's already taking up all of the room in my heart. And so I, I don't have any room for a, a new affection. All I have is I, I just have this, and I, I don't know how to do that. Thomas Chalmers gives this sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And, and he's basically answering the, the question of, can I destroy my false affections, my false worship, these lies that I've believed? And he says, no, you can't destroy it. But he says this, but what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed. And one taste may be made, way, made to give way to another and to lose its power entirely as the reigning affection of the mind. And so he's saying, he's saying, you can't just say, I'm gonna kill this thing. Not my Bible, but the, imagine that's an affection. I'm, it's, it's not like, I'm, I'm gonna kill this thing. No, it's, it's taking the truth and it's saying, here's the truth about God. That blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing and I'm mixing up the NIV and the ESV. You get it. In the heavenly places. It's saying, no, I'm going to edge this dumb thing out. I'm gonna, that's going to take over as the new reigning affection of my life. And, and guys, like that is it. Like what drives you? Like what's, what's causing you to act the way that you're acting? What's causing you to act like a, a jerk if you are. What's causing you to not stand up to someone who is right-leaning and who is such a jerk? What's causing you to not speak the name of Jesus in, in situations? What's causing you to constantly be worshiping this thing, that thing, or the other thing? What's, what's doing that to you? It comes down to this. We don't know who it is that we're praising. We don't know why we should praise him. And we don't, and we don't know where he's blessed us. And the apostle Paul says, just look into it. Just look into what he's done for you. He's chosen you. He's redeemed you. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. He's like, your creator knows you intimately, inside and out. Your creator loves you deeply. Your creator is, is not this narcissistic God. No, he says, I created you to worship me. And when you worship anything else, when you put something else there, it destroys you. He's loving you by saying, I am the love of your life. I know that's awkward when I'm looking at men right now, but when God says, I am your truest love, he says, I love you so immensely, so passionately. Won't you replace that false worship with true worship? Won't you replace it with who I am? 
God says, my people die for lack of knowledge or destroyed for lack of knowledge. Don't, don't allow your life to be destroyed. Don't allow yourself to be destroyed in this world. Seek this God. We're going to be talking about this over the next uh, handful of weeks, this passage here. And I, I just believe it, it's, it could be transformative. Can I pray for us as the ushers come forward?